Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Rachel Hollis podcast. I'm Rachel Hollis. This is my podcast. And this week, we're going to talk about how to write a book. The book that I'm reading right now said that 500, 500, 500 authors will ever sell more than 100,000 copies of their books. So out of all the authors in the world, only 500 of them will ever break six figures in sales. And not to sound like a douchebag, but I have sold millions and millions of copies of books. So I say that not to pat myself on the back, but because I feel like I have some clout in this area. So if you have ever thought about writing a book, if it's something that sort of has been on your mind for a while, or maybe you're like I was for years and you have started and stopped like 20 books instead of finishing anything, this episode is for you. I hope that it gives you some courage to start working on a project you've been thinking about. I hope it lights a fire under your butt to finish but this is my advice for how to write and anything else I can think of. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. So I will start off by saying I am not a trained professional. I am someone who has achieved a great amount of success in this particular field, but I just want you to keep in mind that this is learned. This is like on the job learning. This is not something that I learned officially in school. So I am not going to advise you on grammar or punctuation or any of that. I'm just going to give you nuts and bolts where to begin. And where I suggest you begin is with word count. Now, Maybe right now you're like, wait, don't I start with a character? Don't I start with this? Yes, of course you do. But I can't help you figure out what you're supposed to write about. For those of us who are dreamers, for those of us who want to be authors, for those of us who are writers, coming up with ideas was never the problem, right? Like it's not a problem what you want to say. It's a problem trying to figure out how to get it down or how to get as much of it down as you need. So I am assuming that you already have a vision for what it is you want to write about. And then your next very practical goal is what is the word count? Now, that is something I never heard of until I actually started writing for real. And 
what I will tell you if you're not familiar with this is that every genre, so if you're writing nonfiction, if you're writing a cookbook, if you're writing a children's book or fiction, anything that you are writing has an industry standard for what the word count is. Something like my cookbooks have a pretty low word count, let's say I don't know, 35,000 words because there's so many pictures in it. My fiction books, the word count was 90,000 words. My nonfiction, it's 65,000. So the reason that you need to start with word count is that you need to know what you are going to have to turn in to a publisher or a lit agent in order to be considered legit. So super practical piece of advice is understand what is the word count that you are aiming for. And I can't tell you how many times acquaintances reach out to me because they want to they want to write their first book, they're excited to start and they're like writing nonfiction and they're like, I am so excited. I have written 200,000 words. I mean, it is just pouring out of me. I cannot wait for the world to see what this is. And I'm just like, oh no, I for sure am not going to be the one to tell them that nobody wants to read a first time author writing nonfiction, turning in 200,000 words, nobody. And right now you're like, no, no, but nope, you got to trim that down my friend, or some of you are really excited and you wrote a fiction book and it's 15,000 words. It's nowhere near 90. And in that instance, maybe you're creating a novella or maybe you're creating a short story. And all of this presupposes that you are wanting a book by traditional publishing means. I guess I should have started there. If your plan is to self-publish, girl, you write whatever you want to write. You write a nonfiction book that's 300,000 words, you write a fiction book that's 100 words, you get to do you. But if you want to go the traditional route, then you need to play by some of their rules, especially when you're first starting. Now, the question I often get next is, okay, I know that I need to write 90,000 words. How on earth do I actually finish? And I will tell you that I for sure know what that feels like. As I mentioned earlier, I have started and stopped 20 manuscripts in my life as a writer before I ever finished my first one. And I definitely convinced myself that if I could just finish, that was the key to publishing. And that's not always the case, but dang it, if you want a chance, you have got to have something completed. So now that you know your word count, let's figure out how you get there. For me personally, I take my word count and I divide it by the amount of time that I am giving myself to complete the work. So if you wanted to write 90,000 words and you're giving yourself six months, then you would need to aim to write 500 words a day. Okay, so 500 words might seem like a lot to you. 500 words might seem like nothing at all. But whatever it is that you're trying to do, that's how you get it. And you're like, people are like trying to sort of argue, well, what if I, no, it's, it, this is how you get it. You take your word count, you divide it by the amount of time, you have a daily word goal and you freaking write. It is way better to 
write every single day consistently than to go in fits and spurts. I can tell you that the works that I create, that I just sort of, you know, do a little bit here, I'll go really hard and then work gets busy and I've got to take a month off and then I come back. They take so much longer than if I just made it a goal to write a consistent amount every single day. Now, that being said, I do not like to draw out the writing process. What I'm about to tell you is what works for me. My author friends hyperventilate when they hear this. So this is just my opinion. You do not have to take it as gospel, but I don't like six months. I like to give myself really tight deadlines with really high word count days. So I tend to set goals like 3,000 words a day or 5,000 words a day. I've done 10,000 words a day when like I was really in flow and really knocking stuff out. So it totally depends on what works for you. But for me, I tend to like, I, I like, I'm like a bull in a china shop and I am able to do that because I write absolute garbage in my first draft. More on that in a minute. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees. Period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. The next thing, the next question that I get when I tell people how I figure out my word count is they're like, how do you know what to write? If you have to write 500 words a day, how do I know what to write when I kind of run out of ideas? And years ago, when I used to go to author conferences and conventions, which yes, is a thing, and I miss it so much. I miss it because of quarantine. I miss it because there was a time in my life where I could go to something like that in obscurity, you know, and again, I feel like this sounds kind of douchey and I don't mean it to, but back in the day, I would go to an author conference and nobody knew or cared who I was. So I just like would go there and go to every class and take all the notes and meet my author friends in the bar for cocktails later. And it was truly some of my favorite times of the year. And for my fellow authors who are listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. But 
I don't have the obscurity now to just sort of go and, you know, take notes, right? So I keep thinking that I'm going to devise a plan someday when we're allowed to go to conferences again and I'm like go in full costume and maybe nobody will know it's me, but that is completely besides the point. Let's get back to it. How do you know what to write next? So back when I used to go to conferences, the very first time I went, I heard about this concept of plotters versus pantsers. And the idea is that there are two kinds of writers, plotters who lay out the entire plot before they ever start writing the first word, and pantsers who fly by the seat of their pants, meaning they make up the story as they go along. I am a pantser. So I have very dear friends who are really celebrated, incredible authors who will research a book for two years and draft out, like figure out the skeleton of it for literally years before they ever write the first sentence. I have never plotted anything. And maybe right now, some of you are like, yeah, we've read your books. We know you don't plot. (laughs) It's just not my style. I tend to just start and see where the characters want to take me or see where the words want to take me. And I can't tell you how many times in my career that I've been writing something and I have no idea where I'm going. And then I get to the end or sort of get to a chapter towards the end and it all it all comes together again. And I think that's because our subconscious knows where we're headed even if we don't know what the heck we're doing. So I feel like our subconscious is kind of in the background working things out for you and you just have to trust the process to get the words down, to get the content down so that you know what you're working with. Which brings me to literally the best advice I could ever give you as an author is to let your first draft be a dumpster fire. Like, let it be so awful. So when I tell people about my word count, they'll always, like, when I'll be like, oh, I, I, you know, I wrote 10,000 words, they'll be like, how did you write 10,000 words in a day? And I'm like, oh, I never said they were good words. I never said they made sense. I just get the words down. I truly believe that a book is not born in a first draft. A book is born in a rewrite. It's born in the edit. It really becomes something. It really starts to sing when you rework it. And because I know that I'm going to rework it, I allow myself to have that first attempt be crappy. And I I pay attention often to what other creators or artists do with their work. I think about comedians. I'm fascinated by comedians and the fact that a comedian who has like a stand-up special on like Netflix or HBO or whatever, when you see that hour, what I've learned in listening to podcasts and reading their books is that they started developing that hour-long set two years before. So two years before, they started going to like a crappy comedy club and trying out three jokes two of which bombed and one got a chuckle. And then they'll like work with that one joke. Okay, that got a chuckle. How can I get, you know, half the room to laugh? Okay, how can I keep playing with it and get the whole room to laugh? And that is how they build a set. It takes them some a year, some two years. It's a fascinating process. 
And I think it's very similar, at least for me as an author, that I really allow that first thing to just be garbage because nobody's going to read it but me and my editor and they know that it's going to be garbage. So nobody's surprised by this process. There is a total freedom in letting yourself say whatever you want to say. I find that when I go back and do a reread, there are moments that I'm like so embarrassed that I wrote because they just don't even make sense. They're gobbledygook. And then there are moments that I'm pleasantly surprised by. Like, oh, that's a cool thought. Let me let me expand on that or let me you know, explain it in a different way. And I'm really proud of that nugget that was buried underneath this crap pile of bad, awful sentences and terrible grammar. But I would have never gotten that nugget if I hadn't allowed myself to do this thing first. If I hadn't allowed myself to be bad. I, you know, I was watching a documentary. This is like, this has nothing to do with writing, but everybody should go watch this documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. It's so good and so terrifying, especially if you have kids. It's about the effects of social media and how they have changed the culture and how they have changed the way that children and teenagers respond to the world around them. And the part that I found so fascinating is beyond the like horrifying statistics of the increase of uh, teenage girls who harm themselves, teenage girls who commit suicide, like those things have grown by over 100% since 2011, which was the invention of social media as we know it. But what I found so fascinating is that this generation, the one who grew up with social media, who got on social media in middle school, is way less likely to take a risk they're way less likely to make new friends, to ask someone out on a date, to like social media has made kids today more terrified than ever of failure because they are only seeing the polished result. And while I don't think that most of the people listening to this podcast are, you know, teenagers, though, if you are on here, hey. I do think that oftentimes as creators, we come up against the same kind of fear. We have the same attitude about our own creation as a 15-year-old who's afraid of putting a picture on Instagram. We have this idea that if it's not perfect, it doesn't deserve to exist. We are looking at other people's middle and comparing it to our beginning. We are looking at the authors, the creators, the artists, the comedians that we admire, and it keeps us from even trying, right? Like maybe you want to have a podcast and you listen to other people's podcasts and you're like, oh man, I don't sound like that. Or I don't know how to talk that way. Or my interview questions suck. Like, dude, go back and listen to my first podcast. They are so bad. Go back and read my first book. Like, when we first start out doing these things, of course, they're going to be terrible. That is how you start. You're never going to get to a place where you can create something good and then something great and then something awesome if you don't first allow yourself to suck. 
honestly, I get so pissed off about this because I'm like, why do you think you're the one who just was going to get it the first time out? Like you write something and then you reread it and you're like, oh, this is so terrible. Like, why do you think you're the one who's going to miss the sucky beginnings? That is the price of admission. You want to get into the party? You want to be an author? You want your you want to hold your book in your hand? Great. Then you're going to have to let yourself suck. You're going to have to let yourself suck with with what gets published cuz your first book will is no way, nowhere, no how compared to your 10th book. But you are never going to get to your 10th book if you don't get to your first book. And you're never going to get to your first book if you won't allow yourself to have that crappy first draft. So just write it down. And when you sit down at a computer, or if you're in Murder, She Wrote, and you're sitting down at a typewriter, you have to just write, right? I was at, again, a a conference years ago, and I was in a class with Nora Roberts. And I feel like even if you don't read women's fiction, you have to know who Nora Roberts is. She sold a bajillion books. She's been around for ever. She like in terms of making a career as an author, she's, I would guess top 10 and someone raised their hand and they said, yeah, but how do I finish? Like I, how do I get like, what's the secret? How do you get that first? How do you get the draft? And she said, you sit your butt in the chair and you write the words. There is no secret. There is no magic trick. There is no pill. There is no class. There is nothing but you and the slog. That's not Nora Roberts. That's just me telling you guys. Writing is a really hard thing because it doesn't matter how much support you have. It's just you and the screen. It's just you and the paper. It's just you and a blank page. It's you against you. You really are going to have to cling to why you want it in order to keep going. Back to this crappy first draft that you're going to write. I want to give you a little nugget that someone gave me that I still use today and is really helpful. And that is leave yourself some breadcrumbs. So every single time that I sit down for a writing session, I stop while I still know what I'm going to write. So I'll be in the middle of a paragraph and I know what the rest of the paragraph is and I will literally stop. I'll leave, you know, three sentences that I know exactly what I wanted to say. I will leave that for the next day. So I'm giving myself some breadcrumbs to start fresh the next day because if you don't do that, what can happen, and maybe you've experienced this where you sit down and you're all excited and you got your coffee and these are my two hours to write and you sit down and you're staring at a screen and you're like, I have no freaking idea what to put here because you finished up all your thoughts the day before. So always leave yourself some breadcrumbs so you can very quickly and easily jump right back in. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. 
And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal, Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas the food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously. You can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. Another piece of advice from me to you. I have told this to so many first time authors over the years, and I stand by this, and I think this is the wisest thing you will ever hear from me. Don't reread your draft. Don't reread your draft. So when I start writing for the day, I'll go back and I read one or two paragraphs before, like, so I refresh myself what the frame of thought was, and then I keep going with my breadcrumbs, and I don't reread anything else until I get done with the first draft. So essentially, I write an entire first draft having no idea what I've already written. Here's why this matters. This is like a controversial thing because lots of authors totally disagree But here's why. 
because for years I, you know, y'all have kids. I have a full-time job. I have all of these responsibilities in my life. So I would get up at 5 a.m. to write. And I had an hour and a half, maybe two hours to write before the day started. And I would sit down and I wouldn't really know what to write. And so I go back and reread. And what I would find is that I had like the most bomb first chapter anyone ever had in a book and nothing more than that first chapter. So I kept basically editing the beginning of the book over and over and over, but I never made traction. That's why I had 20 manuscripts that were unfinished because I was never actually getting more words on the page. So I am so hardcore about this that until I hit my word count, I'm not allowed to reread anything. And I mean, if you look at me as an author, I just finished my 10th book. So didn't see that coming comes out September 29th. That is the 10th book I've written. It's my ninth book to come out in publishing. I actually wrote a book that was meant to come out this year. And then inside of quarantine and COVID, I was just like, we have to have a conversation about this world that we're all living in because nobody's talking about how to manage crisis. And I feel like I know a lot about crisis. So let me see if I could write something about this time period. Didn't see that coming. It's something I wrote in quarantine and it comes out September 29th. And then that other book about health will come out in 2021. But I have written 10 books. I have written 10 books in six years. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. So I mean, that feels pretty prolific. That feels like I have managed to accomplish getting a lot of books out in the world. I've written in multiple genres now. I've written fiction. I've written cookbooks. I've written nonfiction. I'm really excited to keep exploring what I can do. And as long as I'm alive on this earth, I'm going to keep writing books. But you, you're never going to have anything out there if you can't get something finished. I can't. I cannot encourage you enough to really ask yourself if you're seeing the kind of traction that you want to be seeing on your manuscript. And if you're not, then I really, 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 really want to ask you to consider this idea that you stop allowing yourself to reread until you get your first draft done. Another thing that I tell people, and this also gets pushed back, is I don't believe in letting anybody read your manuscript until you have a first draft, period. Because what happens is you want two things happen. Number one, you're struggling to finish, and so you want someone else to validate your work. You don't really think of it like that, but you're like, oh, I'm going to let my sister, I'm going to let my best friend, I'm going to let my wife read this thing, and then they're going to tell me that it's good, and if they tell me that it's good, that'll give me the momentum to keep going, right? You're like excited about it, and you're like, hey, can I send you, you know, the first three chapters, because that's all you have, when really, like, it's, if you can't finish this thing without somebody else validating you for it, you're never going to finish straight up. Like if you need them to tell you that it's good in order for you to have the courage to keep going, you're screwed because let's look at it both ways. Maybe they tell you, oh my gosh, this is so good. This is so amazing. I promise you that will not give you the momentum that you need to keep going. 
You stalled out the second that you needed their feedback in order to drive yourself forward. So even if they tell you it's good, you're going to be like, oh, right, cool. I'm so glad they like it. That's not going to keep you going. What's going to keep you going is the willpower and the determination no matter what, no matter if they love it, no matter if they hate it. And so if you send it out into the world, if you let someone read it when it's not finished, you are setting yourself up to what if they don't like it? What if they're like, I don't get it. Now you're doubly discouraged. Now someone has spoken into the exact fear that you had about this creation, that it didn't make sense, that someone else had done something like it, that it feels weird or whatever they tell you, it's going to justify you stopping. And for most people, it's going to justify you quitting. Most people will allow friends and family and people who love them to speak into the exact fear that they have about their dream or their goal and it will stop them dead in their tracks. So I don't let anybody read it. The other thing that I worry about, because I'm just gonna give you one more reason why you should not let anyone read it until it's fully baked, is someone else might give you an opinion, might comment on something positive or negative that will change what you are creating. And I hate that for you. Because it will change the content. It will change the creative. Um, I always think there's a, a fiction book, which I still am going to find some way to write. There, I just, I, for those of you who want to write fiction, you know, we get these characters in our heads and they just don't go away, right? I feel like the only way you can sort of put a character to rest is to tell their story. And for me, I have a whole group of fiction characters that are swirling around in my mind and they keep tapping me on the shoulder and someday I'll have the opportunity to bring them to life. But one of the ideas that I still love, I was writing on and I told Dave the idea. And this is nothing against Dave. It's like my fault for telling him. And he was like, oh, that sounds a lot like the X-Men. And I... I vaguely know what the X-Men are because I really like Hugh Jackman and I know he's the one that has like the, the knives coming out of his knuckles, but I've never seen the X-Men. I don't know, like they're superheroes or something. I don't know what they are, but it freaked me out so bad that he said it was like something that I stopped working on it because it was like, oh no, it already exists. Or like, oh no, it's like I'm creating something that's like something else. And my idea was my idea. And when he said that from a place like of love, like he just was giving me, I was like, hey, what do you think? And that was his feedback that I asked for. It affected the way that I was approaching it. And I think until you have a first draft that you can really look at and go, oh no, this is what it is. And it turns out that this first draft is nothing like the X-Men. But I will never know what that iteration would have been because I stopped because I had his feedback. So for what that's worth, I hope that I've said enough to keep you from letting anybody critique your work. I also really believe, I talked about this in my book, Girl, Stop Apologizing, which is all about how to achieve a goal. And you can grab that or get that at a library, but it's all about how, whatever your goal is, here's how you achieve it. Here's how you break it into parts. Here's how you do it. One of the things that I really love for writers is to create an environment that you 
can reproduce at any time, anywhere. Years ago, I, uh, probably after Girl, Wash Your Face, because then everybody wanted to ask me about writing, I had an acquaintance who was like, hey, I want to get your advice. I'm going to write a book. I'm really excited. And I was like, yeah, cool. Let's chat it up. And think like thinking that I was going to give him ideas like this. And I started to talk him through, hey, here's how I do it. Here's what I suggest. And he's like, no, 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 no. I want you to tell me how to create a writer's room. And I was like, a what? And he's like, you know, like an office in my house that is like perfectly aesthetically ideal for writing. Like, what do I need? Where do I get the desk? Who's the designer? How do I create the perfect place? I need the perfect place so that I can write. And I was like, oh no, you don't need a place. You just open up your computer and you start writing and, you know, I try and then your word count, whatever. He's like, no, 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 no. I, I have to have her. I need a space. I need a look. It's like a vibe. I need the energy. I have kids. I want to be able to get away from them. What do you suggest for my writer's room? And I was like, oh man, I am not the person to talk to you about this because I believe that if you need a certain environment to create, you're screwed. To me, being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. Honestly, what I eat and what my kids eat is super important to how we live our lives. It's why I love a company like Thrive Market because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So when I go online and I use their on-site filters, I can figure out exactly my lifestyle needs and trust that what I'm getting from Thrive Market is what I want to take into my body. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. You can join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Rach for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Rach. Thrivemarket.com slash Rach. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Now, let me back it up. I suppose that there are people who, you know, let's say hypothetically, you have a trust fund, you don't have to work, you don't have any responsibilities, you have no children, you don't have to pay your own bills, nothing's expected of you, but your creation, 
Therefore, yes, you can create an environment that you use to tap into your creative genius. But most of the people I know are trying to fit in their passion. They're trying to fit in their painting, their photography, their writing, their podcasting. They're trying to fit in their dreams into the responsibilities that they already have in their life. And if Look, it would it's lovely if you have a space in your house that you can carve out to write in, that's awesome. I'm just saying don't attach the creation to a location. Ooh, I love when things rhyme. Don't attach the creation to a location. Attach the creation to a series of habits in yourself that you can recreate no matter where you are. So for me, this used to look like a shot of espresso, a certain kind of gum, and then I would put in my AirPods and I would play the same song on repeat in the background over and over and over. I listened to a lot of Kendrick Lamar. Like there's something about his, like his beats in the background on low that I, I just sort of could get into a flow and it would help me to write. Some people need total silence. Some people want green tea. Some people have fuzzy slippers. It doesn't matter what it is, but I think it's important that it's something that's portable. Because I can recreate the espresso gum situation on an airplane. I can recreate that at a hotel. I can recreate that on vacation, at my house, at my office. No matter where I am, that's something I can easily recreate. So just give yourself a routine, like something that signals to your brain, oh, it's time to write. You know, when I used to give people advice about this years ago, I don't think I had learned this piece yet, but I want to talk about it because I feel like so much of my life and my work now is about health, emotional and physical and mental health. And I do think earlier in my career as a writer, I really abused all of those in myself in order to create. I think I thought that I had to be in a place of emotional distress to create my art. And I was talking to a therapist probably five years ago, and she was like, have you ever tried to create from a place of celebration? Have you ever tried to create from a place of love? Have you ever tried to make writing positive for you instead of negative? Because I would get, I would give myself crazy anxiety. I would, I would like feel vertigo. Like I would be so hard on myself. I also was compounding those feelings. I didn't understand at the time, but I was absolutely coping, like reaching for really negative habits to cope. Like I would make myself feel so crappy about what I was writing that then I wanted to go have a burrito the size of my arm. Or I wanted to, like I'm going to go drink wine and vodka, like that I would reward myself with like terrible things for my body as a sort of like penance or as a sort of like reward for making it through a word count day. And then I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to jack myself up on caffeine and I'm going to go again. And it would just be this like awful cycle. And having gotten a hold of my health and really learned so much about just taking better care of myself, drinking water, you know, eating foods that bless my body, um, not abusing myself with, you know, loads of caffeine and all of that stuff. I... Honestly, I know you guys don't roll your eyes. This is not, I'm not a broken record. I know I've been talking to you about it so much, but it's because I believe in it. 
I have so much energy. I have so much better mental focus because I don't abuse my health when I write. I mean, I don't abuse my health ever, but because I've learned how important it is to be healthy so that I can create, like my focus is wild. Like for instance, if I'm writing a book right now, I'm eating super clean. So like I'm going to have protein, I'm going to have greens, I'm going to have fruit. Like I'm going to eat so crazy, crazy clean because I can tell how much better I can focus when I'm doing those things. I increase my omegas. I have fish. I do. (laughs) I'm here for anything that is going to help me think with better clarity. And I write so much faster. My first draft is so much cleaner and so much better prepared than back in the day when I would have like a cheeseburger and french fries and a milkshake for lunch and then wonder why I was too exhausted to finish out the day. So something I didn't know back then but I really understand now is how you take care of your body absolutely determines your energy level and how much clarity you have as you write. All right, one last thing, and that is you have to you have to make the time. You have to make the time. There is never going to be a magic, like, oh, all of a sudden, all of your responsibilities go away, or, oh, you know what, on the holiday break, I'm going, or, oh, on my vacation. No, if you want this thing, you have got to fit it into your very real life. Life is not slowing down. Life is not getting easier. It's not going to be easier to pursue this creation someday. It is something that you have to suck it up and find a way right now. And I know it's hard. I freaking know. Because here's the bad news. 10 books in, not one of them got easier to write. It's not like your first book is hard and then the rest are a piece of cake. They are all hard. They all are a slog. They all feel impossible. We all think that our work is garbage, no matter how many books you've written. Like, it, it, it just is, for real. So if you are waiting for a magic situation to make this easier, you're out of luck. It's not going to be. There isn't a trick If it was easy, everyone would have a book. But if you want a book, if you want a screenplay, if you want to have those words, then you're going to have to do the work. That's it. I can give you my advice. I can tell you how to come at it. I can tell you to have some green juice and some salmon to make you think better. But at the end of the day, this is you against you. And it's not like our dreams go away just because we stop working on them, right? This idea that you have the unwritten book, the unfinished screenplay, the unproduced podcast, like those aren't going to go away. They're going to haunt you, right? Nobody talks about this. Our dreams don't die just because we stop focusing on them. They're still there. They're still in our heart. They're still tapping on our shoulder, going like, hey, let's play. Let's have some fun. Let's try this. Let's remember what it was like to be a little kid where we created just for the hell of it. Look, if you want to write a book right now because you are hoping that it's going to make you rich, you, yeah, definitely don't write that book. 
If you want to create the podcast or write the screenplay or do your art or take pictures because you think it's going to make you famous, you're chasing down the wrong goal. I think that we create because we have the ability to do so. I think that our creator gave us this potential, gave us the idea, gave us that little buzz in our heart, that little fire in our belly that tells us that we are we can create something more. I think that you create and it is a gift and it is a privilege to create. And you are wasting the privilege of creation because you're worried that other people won't like it. I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep putting content out there. And there's some stuff that I've written that people have loved. And there's lots of things that I've written that people have hated. But I am not creating for them. I'm creating because something in my spirit compels me to put words down on paper. And as long as I am able to do so, I'm going to keep showing up in this way. And I would hate for you to get to the end of your life and look back on it and know that you missed the opportunity to create your thing because you were worried about how it would be received. Write it down. Record the podcast. Paint the painting. Take the picture. Make the movie. Write the song. Sing. Put the video up on YouTube. Whatever it is that you have been dreaming of doing, I hope that you'll find the courage to be yourself. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. Our show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with additional production support by Sterling Coates. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is a 3% chance production. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org.